Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Our guest today is Jim Wonderman, President and CEO of the Bay Area Council. I invited Jim on the show because he published a very thought-provoking piece about an idea for helping California dig its way out of the COVID-induced recession. It's an idea that not a lot of people are talking about, but that could go a long way to helping the state recover while avoiding the worst budget cuts that are currently being considered. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you and uh, yeah, looking forward to having this discussion about a really provocative piece that you wrote. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Great. So could you tell us just a little bit about the Bay Area Council and, and who your members are and what you focus on? Yeah, so we're, uh, we were formed at the end of World War II uh, by government and business leaders at the time. Earl Warren was the governor and the mayors of the cities and the business leaders, you know, people like the Kaisers and the Bechtels, who were the big industrialists, uh, you know, got together as the economy of the Bay Area was changing because it really was a war oriented economy. It's a very successful one. And uh, they, they, they held a meeting and they, they called it the Bay Area Council. And I don't know whether it was intended to stick around, but 75 years later, we're still around. And, you know, we're, our membership, we have about 350 members um, and they're mostly businesses. They're mostly private sector companies, probably 90%. The other 10% are universities, uh, some, you know, some, some special service parts of government like airports in the you know, Port of Oakland, San Francisco Airport, you know, folks like that who are, uh, you know, uh, play a really important role in the economy as well. Uh, healthcare institutions, hospitals, uh, mostly private, some public, so uh, big employers. And, you know, get together to talk about the area as a region rather than a collection of uh, individual cities and counties. So we have 101 cities, nine counties. We surround this beautiful bay, but it doesn't lend itself to much functionality. One re big regional economy. In fact, the area is probably bigger now than it was then in terms of the geography. Back in the 45, uh, San Francisco had about 800,000 people. San Jose had about 45,000. And now San Jose has got over a million people and, you know, the, the hinterland has become Silicon Valley and, you know, all much different story as, as would be in many places. So um, sort of outgrown the f geographic footprint of that time, uh, which seemed expansive at the time. And, and we're looking at the Central Valley and, you know, how do we make this whole even bigger area work and working, you know, talking to those government agencies and councils of government and major companies to see if we could strategize around the you know kind of next era of that but we work on you know the regional issues like transportation is a big issue we're the group that created BART back in the 1950s we needed a first re first uh, fixed rail heavy fixed rail uh, transportation system in the country after World War II we, we created that um, the um, you know we, we helped build some of the bridges or expand some of the bridges that were there so points of connect you know connecting things has always been a big part of this uh, housing as you would imagine working with the educational institutions um, you know making sure that we have a strong economy that we you know we that we, we actually work well with most of the environmental groups because this bear is like a really desirable place and we want to keep it 
that way. People really care about the Bay Area. So, so those are the kinds of things we work on. It varies from time to time as issues come up. Uh, things do change. And uh, so things are changing. We've spent a lot more time working on homelessness lately. That's something we didn't historically work on. And, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly working on everything in the context of COVID-19 and, and most recently in terms of uh, race and racial equity. You know, it's something we've been working on, but now we're working on it, you know, kind of full bore. Uh, given the circumstances lately, we want to play a leadership role in that. Well, fascinating, fascinating history. And yeah, thanks for that. Um, that sort of overview of the Bay is, is certainly a special place. And yeah. it's great, great to see that there's a mechanism for it to all work together. So you wrote a really provocative piece uh, about a state economic recovery bond. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show as we think about what's next for the COVID recovery, how we get out of this economic hole. Um, I, I, you know, I know this may sound to some listeners like a little bit of a wonky topic, but I want to ask them to bear with us because I think this is actually really, really important to the future of our economic recovery here. And so why don't we just start with an overview of what the bond is, how it would work. Yeah, so, you know, basically, this came to me because I've seen this before. I've been around a while. I've been in government. I was a deputy mayor in San Francisco a couple of times when we had very dramatic uh, uh, economic downturns that in turn caused budgetary shortfalls of a sort of a huge denomination. And at the state level, uh, the state of California is really uh, very much in sync with the state's economy. The, the budget and the state economy kind of go hand in hand, more so than in some other states. Because in other states, the budget is more tied to, to real estate taxes. And uh, it certainly, you know, and those budgets certainly uh, vary with uh, economics up, up and downs. But in California, it's, we're really tied to the income tax. Income tax is, is about three quarters of the general fund budget in our state. Uh, we've designed it that way um, after Proposition 13 and in recent you know, policy decisions that were made and votes that were taken. Uh, so what happens is when you have an economic upturn, you know, the state does really well budgetarily, you know, we bring in a lot of money. It's enabled the state to grow a lot of programs over the last decade as we, you know, been through this long recovery and also to stash away some money. So we've got over a $20 billion rainy day fund. We never had that before. So, so that's the good side of being tied to the economy. The bad side is, is when things go sour, you take a massive hit because the budget under the state constitution requires a balanced budget on an annual basis. And so you can't spend more money than you take in and, and when the economy goes south, it, it goes hard and the, the revenues go hard. And so that's why Governor Newsom projected a $54 billion deficit just months after we had a, a, a surplus that was big enough to fuel program growth and savings uh, you know, for a rainy day. So that's the magnitude of it. So the way I looked at this is, well, you know, we have this economic downturn, but it's self-inflicted. You know, in a, in a way, I mean, we didn't create the virus, but we created the response to it. And, you know, my, my guess is, good guess, I think, is, you know, we, we should be in this for a couple of years. You know, this might be a one-year, a two-year, even a three-year downturn as a result of, you know, business being way down or less, you know, certainly less uh, uh, viable than it's been. But, um, 
you know, we'll get out of this. And, and we had a strong economy going into it. And California's got huge advantages. Uh, you know, there's just so many assets here. There's so many reasons for business to be here. We've got 40 million people here. Uh, you know, it's like a country. We have, uh, you know, there, we should be able to do well economically in the state. And when we do, you know, we'll produce revenues again and we'll produce surpluses again. So why go through the pain and anguish of cutting to ribbons these services that we've built up and some of them, you know, things like reducing school class size to just modest size. Uh, you know, being able to provide social and health services to, you know, more people uh, and at a better quality than we were able to do before. Um, you know, address issues like, like climate change. Um, you know, these are things that are good goals. Uh, state's been, been after them. We, we shouldn't back off from those things just because of this situation. We don't have to if we can just get through the situation. But because of the balanced budget requirement, what you end up doing is you have to, you know, you only have two ways to deal with it. You either cut services big time or raise taxes big time or some combination of both. And those are both really bad solutions when you just lost millions of jobs in your state people are really hurting. They need the government services. And the last thing businesses need is a tax increase when you're trying to get them to reinvest in the state and open up their businesses again. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is send them a message that, okay, you know, you're hurting so much, we'll tax you more. Thank you. So that's not, not neither of those are very good. So a third option, which usually is not well liked, is borrowing. Um, and, and I can understand why it's not well liked, because when you borrow money, you got to pay it back. And so it creates a debt for the future. But today, you know, given where we stand and the severity of this and the, the uniqueness of this moment, it seems to me to borrow some funds that we could pay back over the next 10 to 20 years or so uh, at a very modest cost because rates are very, very low and the state's credit rating is good. Uh, you know, we should be able to get, do that, get through this and take the, you know, the huge, uh, you know, this, this huge gradation in revenue, at, you know, and smooth, smooth it uh, quite a bit so that you, you basically can keep, you know, you may still have to make some cuts, but you could keep, you know, most services pretty much uh, where they are. You know, you don't have to grow stuff, but let's not cut it. And, and you could help local government because local government's gonna go through the same thing, especially cities are going to have the same problem that, um, that the state has. So, you know, let's get through this period, do it all together, borrow uh, modestly, uh, pay it back, and move on. And, you know, this did happen back in the early part of the century when, go you know, Governor Schwarzenegger found himself inheriting a state budget that had a big deficit. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he chose, in addition to making cuts, he, he chose to, uh, to borrow. He called it a one-time borrowing in order to sell it to the voters. And therefore, along with the borrowing itself, which I think was around $15 billion, he, he, he and, and, uh, and the, you know, it was, it was a bipartisan effort, which these things should be, it have to be. Uh, they put on a constitutional amendment that said, if we ever want to borrow again, We'll have to have another constitutional amendment, which I thought was kind of silly, but it is what it is. So anyway, that's where we are. So if you want to, if you want to do this, 
you have to pass both a constitutional amendment to allow yourself to do it at the same time that you do it. But that's what we did last time. And, you know, I think we could probably do it again if the, if the leadership of the state gets behind it. Okay, so great explanations. A lot of, I want to unpack there. Um, let, let's maybe start with the theory behind it, because I think you raised some really interesting points. Um, now, the state has this um, balanced budget provision in our constitution. Almost every state has that, is my understanding. Yes. So like 49 states, right? Mm -hmm. And and obviously the federal government doesn't. It's It's been debated many times. It has never passed the federal government. But I think conceptually, I, I sometimes struggle with what is really the difference except for scale between the feds borrowing money, which which they do every day in the billions and billions of dollars, versus a state doing it. And particularly when you have, you know, California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world, um, it's the equivalent of, you know, say the economy of France borrowing money. So, so let's maybe just talk about the, the philosophy, of, if you could, of why people um, somehow dig in against state borrowing when it's so freely accepted at the federal level. Well, the thing is that the, at the federal level, you know, we don't like it either. So I have a feeling if you ask voters, do you think that the feds should borrow all this money in excess of what they take in? The public would probably say, no, that's terrible, right? But we want the things that the borrowing pays for. And we don't get to vote on it, it's, we're, you know, because states like California, the voters have a lot of say under our constitution. You know, we don't have that over the U.S. constitution. So it's really up to the, the members of Congress and the president to decide what to do. And they, I think they find it more attractive to borrow uh, rather than to cut military spending or Social Security or Medicare, because you know those are the programs that eat up most of the budget, uh, and 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 human services. Those things are the you know kind of the big ticket items in the budget. So you know rather than do that and have to face their constituents with those cuts, um, you know they they continue to in effect print money at the federal level, and they do it at a pretty big scale. Um, states have been resistant to that, you know, it's, and, and, and I think in, in California's case, you know, the voters uh, have made it really clear that you, know, you can't do, you can't borrow significantly without a vote of the people. So if we want to borrow, we have to go to the people to do it. Now we do it a lot, you know, we go, we do go before the people, both at the state level, we do it at the uh, county and, and city level, and we do all kinds of borrowing. And more often than not, people approve it, even though the Constitution requires a two-thirds vote for a lot of it, especially at the local level. So sometimes the people don't vote for it. Depends on the mood and whether you know the nature of the item that's being borrowed for, and you know the nature of the campaigns and things like that. But uh, it it seems that it's a little out of whack to me that we cheer on the feds. I mean. What do we do about COVID-19? Well, we get the feds to give us money. Well, where do they get the money? They borrow it, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly my point is, you know, we, we yeah. printed all these stimulus checks and, you know, um, we had both parties, you know, lining up to do it. I think it's great. Really good. Yeah, um, yeah and, and no one, no one seems great. to complain. So, so I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting comparison. Um, so, so let's talk about the mechanics a little bit, which, which you're getting into there. So the legislature would have to, approve both a constitutional amendment and the bond itself. Is, yeah, is by, that right? By a supermajority vote. 
Because of the constitutional, in order to put a constitutional amendment on, it has to be put on by a supermajority vote. So uh, it's my understanding. So, okay. So, so they would propose have, that, and then it would go to the ballot as soon as this fall, conceivably? The governor, I, I, I think the governor would have to agree to it. I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. That's a good question. I, I probably should know the answer to that one. Okay. But to me, it doesn't matter whether he has to agree with it or not. If he didn't agree, it would have no chance of passing. So right. basically, this is the kind of thing that the governor and the legislature would have to lock arms and say, you know, we really, you know, we've done all these other things to get the budget balanced. We're not just borrowing, you know, we're, we're making some hard decisions here. But, you know, this last whatever the, you know, chunk is, if we don't borrow that, it's really going to hurt people. It's going to hurt our state long term. It's going to do damage. So we, we urge you voters to, you know, get behind this. You know, something we don't do every day. We don't love it. We're not jumping up and down celebrating it. But it's the best choice under the circumstances. You have to look at it like that. Yeah, well said. And, and the Schwarzenegger comparison I do think is interesting. I, I'd like to, you know, give a little bit of a, a history refresher there for, for people who maybe don't recall that because this, this did happen um, the state was digging out of a whole bunch of financial problems. And, and as you said, Governor Schwarzenegger went to the ballot. It did pass. And we paid it back in a very orderly, timely fashion, is, is my understanding. And it, it seemed to work as advertised. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, it worked better than advertised because I don't think it was anticipated. We, I think we paid it back in 11 years, mm-hmm. which is pretty fast. But, you know, they came up there, you know, they can be very creative with Sacramento when they want to be. Uh, you know, they have a lot of tools and a lot of really smart people in the Department of Finance and the Legislative Analyst's Office and the Treasurer, you know, Treasurer's Office. And, uh, you know, they came up with a way to do it back then. And they called it the triple flip. And so they, they found a way to, to, to have to, to get it done in a way that provided additional assurance to the investors so that you could actually get those bonds on the market and get them sold very reliably and that the investors would have less risk. And, and yet you didn't promise uh, things that were above and beyond what a state should promise. It was basically just kind of a movement of funds from place to place, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't harm the general fund or that kind of thing. Uh, so it was really pretty smart. Um, and uh, it worked out well. And, you know, I would, I would hope that they would do something similar. I don't know if the same theory still applies. Uh, it takes different groups to go along with a thing like that, you know, because different groups are potentially affected by it. But it worked out really well uh, that time. And, you know, there was criticism of it. And, you know, people said, you know, some people on one side said, well, we should just raise taxes. And the other side said, you know, the go- you know, Governor Schwarzenegger needs to show how tough he really is and make these cuts. And I think that, you know, those are the conversations. At that time, we were in trouble uh, and we didn't need to do it. At this point, we really don't need to have that conversation. We, we really need to pull together. Uh, we're facing a uh, virus nobody caused, still don't completely understand. And, you know, we're in a time where if ever we needed people to be working together rather than, you know, pointing fingers at each other, like this is that time. So uh, I think one of the other compelling arguments that you alluded to there is, you know, interest rates are at such a historic low and the Fed you know, has promised to keep them there for the indefinite future, essentially until the economy recovers. And so 
we would be borrowing this money at exceptionally low interest rates. And, and I'm, you know, we've, I think some of us have read about Jerome Powell's conversation, the chairman of the Fed with Nancy Pelosi recently, where he said, hey, money's cheap, go big, you know, get, get the economy out of this yeah. hole. And you know, this is not somebody who would be accused of being like a big spending liberal. And, and he's making a very similar argument that you are to the state finances here. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of countries have used this as a tactic and, you know, you've got negative interest rates in some places and I don't know that we'll go there, but we're pretty darn close in America right now. And, you know, these bond, these bond rates will peg off the federal funds rate and so forth. And, you know, the bond, you know, the bonds get priced at the time they're, they come to market. We don't know what the price will be when it comes to market. You know, it seems like the federal strategy is likely to be to keep interest rates low for a while. You know, the, the day that we vote on this isn't the day you have a bond sale. So the day that these are approved, which would be in November, then, you know, the Treasurer's Office, the Ma, those folks, they begin the process of bringing the bonds to market. And it would happen sometime later, months later, when the bonds would actually begin to be sold. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of nuances to this, so I don't pretend to be the world's foremost expert on uh, on this kind of uh, on borrowing this way. But it can be done. It's been done before. It'll be done again. The question is, how much is is now the time? And does the political leadership see the uh, the value of this, or would they rather you know go at it some other ways? And you know, do they have you know, what other choices do they have? If they have other choices that are better than this. Because uh, this is imperfect, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, I, I'd say, well, okay, what are those things? And can you bridge the gap again without raising taxes and without, you know, making the kind of cuts that are really going to have a, you know, disenfranchise people uh, at scale? So, to that point, how um, how have your conversations gone with the legislature on this? Um, what what has the reaction been that uh, as you've been talking about this? Um, you know, I've had some positive conversations with legislators about it who think it's a good idea. It should be explored. Um, you know, I had one legislator tell me that I, you know, I, it was a bad idea. You know, but I've had a few tell me they think that it's a good idea and that they're open to it. I had one, I won't, I won't name folks, who said, you know, anything I could do to help, uh, I think it's a great idea. Uh, so, you know, I've had some good reactions to it. I've you know, been on a few programs in which experts have said it's a good idea compared to the other ideas, mm-hmm. you know, because the other ideas typically are going to get to cuts and taxes and that this is a, you know, this should be in the mix with things like that and maybe ahead of those things. So I saw that Senator Atkins, the Senate president, introduced uh, a bill that, that's sort of a prepay on your taxes bond. Have, have you seen this? I heard about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so that's different than what you're talking about. To, to be yeah, clear. I don't think it's a bond. Um, you know, I think it's sort of like a deal. I'm not exactly sure, so I don't fully understand that, and um, I'd like to understand it better. You know, basically, the theory of it is I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those folks who's who you know. So we we really tax heavily people of high income in the state. That's our strategy. So the highly indexed tax rate. In fact. One percent of Californians pay more than fifty percent of the tax in the state. One percent, which I think is very dangerous, uh, personally, because they don't have to necessarily 
remain Californians in all cases. And if you keep heaping it on a one particular group, eventually, you know, they'll make choices. And, you know, we see some of that. So, but, but nevertheless, you know, that's where a huge portion of our state revenues come from. And so if you buy the theory that, well, those folks are going to be around, they're going to pay taxes this year, they're going to pay taxes next year, they're going to pay taxes in 2025, they could prepay those taxes and then get a return on that, you know, therefore being good Californians and make kind of a very reliable return. I think that's the notion that she's got. I've never seen this before. Um, yeah, I had never heard of, of anything actually, like it. Yeah, yeah to, to me, a bond issue, basically what a bond issue does is it pledges the full faith and credit of the state of California to folks who invest in the bonds. And then the folks who are really pay, repaying that uh, are, the, are those same taxpayers, right? But they're, you know, you're not making a deal directly with them. You're making a deal with, deal with the voters of California to do this. I, to me, it sounds more reliable. Um, I don't, again, I don't know if there's a market for what, um, you know, Senate President Atkins, she's a very smart person. And, you know, I'm sure they've thought about this and maybe they've done some market testing of it. I'm sure there's some folks who'd be willing to do it, but you know, the scale, what's the scale of it? Right. So, and to the point about trying to create some sort of tax cut for, for that upper 1% to give them incentive in a way, couldn't your bond work the same way? Because to the extent that Californians buy, buy and hold these bonds, that interest would be tax free under California law, correct? Oh, yeah. As, as, a, munis, as a municipal bond, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I mean, I think that that's another sort of interesting, you know, California patriotic argument for, for your idea here is, you know, we, we you know, do have some... You, whenever you sell the bonds, the message is, you know, this is California, we got to come together and buy these bonds. And, you know, there's a very broad uh, market for bonds like this, not just from people. The truth is people buy these because they're the kind of investment they want to make for a particular kind of portfolio. So pension funds, uh, you, know, indivi you know, wealthy individuals, businesses buy these bonds because they are, you know, they have the right rating at the right interest rate at the right time for different groups of investors uh, and fill a certain portion of a portfolio. Um, you know, it seems to me that what we're talking about is the alternative is it's a more limited kind of uh, market. Yeah, I, I th that makes a lot of sense. And, and then these are all related arguments. But, but then the final thing that, that that idea brings up to me is I, I can see an argument for why you'd want to bet on the California recovery. And, and you got into this before, you know, you know, you're, you're looking at the strength and the depth of our economy. And yes, huge challenges coming in front of us. But, you know, we, we are, you know, the, the only nation state in the country. Um, and with all the, you know, the, fortunately, we came into this with a strong economic situation. So this is, this is better than some recessions we've gotten into in the past. And I think from an investor's point of view, I, I can imagine people saying, you know, I, I'd like to bet on California recovering maybe a little bit better than some other states. We, we did more early. We locked down. We, we, you know, we created the environment for a healthy recovery, both physically and economically. And your bonds could be a way to do that, right? Because if, if you're buying and, and holding those bonds in a portfolio and other people start to do it because they think it's a good idea, you could also just get appreciation on those bonds yeah, themselves, right? Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that California has performed well. 
Um, our, our rating has gone uh, to the better since Schwarzenegger's uh, bond back in the early part of the century. We, um, I think we've shown, you know, we've, we've passed a few amendments that make it more reliable. You know, we now have uh, dates by which budgets have to be done uh, and, and it's easier to do uh, as long as you don't raise taxes. You know, there's a lower threshold for in the, in the constitutional body and the legislature for approving the budget. So there's those kinds of things. Uh, if you look at the state economically, uh, it's just a total powerhouse. You know, we, you know, we're the home of, of innovation, venture capital, Silicon Valley, the, all, the, all, almost all of the major industries that drive the global economy are either headquartered in California or highly distributed around California. N nations have their research institutions in California. Major companies not headquartered in California have same, you know, fintech, biotech, uh, you know, gaming, uh, you know, just, you know, every aspect of artificial intelligence, uh, uh, blockchain, I mean, you name, you know, the tech, the, the tech side of it is, you know, that we're so clustered here, um, other places come and wonder, like, how do I get anything resembling what you've got? When you look at the educational, you know, institutions of higher learning, you know, we've got the best of the best here that produce, you know, incredible uh, genius, um, you know, the, you know, we've got the entertainment industry, Hollywood, um, tourism, you know, people flock here that, you know, California just offers so much in so many different ways to so many different people. Uh, so I think it's been proven over time uh, that, you know, people want to be here, companies want to be here, talent seems to want to be here. Um, yeah, there's been some knocks on the state lately, uh, probably some deserve that, you know, we're, we like regulations too much. Um, the cost of living is too high. Uh, you know, I think the cost of living is probably too high because so many people want to be here who could, you know, who, who could be somewhere else and they want to be here because this is where the action is. So, you know, that, that, that basically says to me, you know, we need to do a better job solving issues like housing you know, which we're working on and transportation, which we're working on and, you know, investing in infrastructure or water systems. I mean, things like that that have been left behind. We need to refocus in on those things because they could be, you know, the Achilles heels. But by and large, um, you know, I, you know, I think a bet on California is a pretty good bet. Um, and time and time again, you know, the doubters have been proven wrong on this one. So, uh, you know, I feel pretty comfortable uh, uh, with, with view toward, you know, we'll get an economic recovery here and people will write stories about how California did it. Well, that, that's a great place to wrap. It's a really thought provoking idea. I'm glad you're putting it into the conversation. I wish you the best of success with it. If Thank people want to find out more about Bay Area Council or to get involved with your work, how do they do that? Yeah, so we have a website, bayareacouncil.org. It spells out all our policy positions. We have an economic institute you can find there or bayareaeconomy.org. So do a lot of research work on a lot of different issues and you know measure a lot of different things that are happening on subjects that are relevant to the Bay Area economy, California, and so forth. So you know, we try to be a very thoughtful group. Um, our, you know, we're, we're led by our, our CEOs from these institutions or, you know, heads of companies, uh, chancellors of universities, things like that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a group of people that come together thoughtfully 
you know, for the best, in the best interest of a, of a place and, and of a people. And um, I, I hope people, you know, feel like checking in and I'm available. My, my, you know, I'm Jim at Bay Area Council.org. Just send me a note. I'm happy to converse. Got, I'm Great. sitting at home a lot these days, you know. He <laughs> responded to a lot of emails. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Hey, hey thanks, Brian. You take care. Great. Nice to have you. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producer is Hannah Miller. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. For more information, click through the link on your podcast app to our homepage.